Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be responding to this Matt Chandler individual. And this is a clip, I think I grabbed it off of YouTube at some type, time in the past. I'm not sure who he is. I think he uh, might have some anti-open theist stuff. I don't know. Maybe someone just sent me this clip. I pulled it down. And let's just go through it and respond to it in turn. Foreknowledge and predestination. What I've what I've learned in 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 my years of pastoring now is that this idea of foreknowledge and predestination can be a bit divisive. I, I don't know if you have picked up on any of that, and it can be divisive on on both sides of the aisle, if you will. Now, all right, I, I have I have seen a lot of people that the, these two ideas are caricaturized into something they are not, painted to be something they're not, and portrayed to be something they're not, all right? And then I have met way too many in, in my life, very young men who can't generously and graciously understand the doctrines of grace in such a way and explain them in such a way that they are winsome and beautiful. There are certain guys that go through a type of theological puberty where I wish we could just put you in a... One thing we missed from that is he didn't say those people were wrong. He just said they don't explain them the way that I want to. That sounds more appealing. They, they describe them more in face value. So he's not calling these people wrong. He just wants them to create a message in a certain framing way that he wants. And this reminds me of Tammy Bruce's book. And she was this, uh, is this hardcore feminist who promoted leftist values. And she heard a stat one day on the radio that her feminist organization had pushed to the media to report. And because they reported the statistic in a way that uh, was, it, was kind of pro-men, and it was a correct statistic, but she called up the station and they, she got them to switch the wording of it so it more uh, persuaded individuals listening to that stat of her position, just the way that the statistic was worded. This manipulation. And this is what this guy wants. And of course, all Calvinists want to be smooth and they want everyone to like the things that they're saying, except for, you know, you've got some hardcore Calvinists who are like, well, I'll just be belligerent in everything and I don't care who it offends. And, you know, the, this guy doesn't think they're wrong. He just thinks they're going about it the wrong way. Cage and then let you out a few years later. All right. Truth should be handled like a scalpel, never a club, never a club. You wield these truths like a club. You don't understand these truths. You tracking with me? Like how in the world you could talk about foreknowledge and predestination in a way that is arrogant, condescending, and belittling will forever baffle me. <laughs> really? It'll baffle you that people specifically thinking that they're elect, chosen from before the foundation of the world, imbued with special Gnostic knowledge that they th themselves and no one else can understand the Bible. You don't think that uh, those people are going to have some sort of proclivity to being arrogant and condescending? You don't think you don't think the one doctrine leads to another. You don't you don't see the connection there. All right, all right. You simply reveal you don't understand this thing at all. And so what I've learned about those who struggle with these two things, um, foreknowledge and predestination, is, is a lot of times they'll, they'll play um, uh, one of two games. 
Um, the, the first game is to go, well, you know, I see that. You know, I, I see foreknowledge and predestination, but I just don't think those words mean what y- you think they mean. So this guy ends this little clip, you know, maybe eight minutes in, talking about knowledge, the different types of knowledge, you know, that you could see the word knowledge, but it can mean different things in different contexts to different people. His hypocrisy, it doesn't dawn on him, his hypocrisy here, where he's going to claim now that predestination and foreknowledge have these definitive meanings that he wants rather than contextual meanings. And here's a, another funny thing. Calvinists do not believe in foreknowledge. I had this poll, and I put it on this Calvinist webpage, what's the best systematic theology? And everyone was uh, pointing to this uh, Reformed Dogmatics by Herman uh, Bavinick, I believe the guy's name is. Uh, I got it. I bought it. It was like a $30 systematic theology. But they assured me that this is the go-to systematic theology for Calvinists. And in it, he says this. Consequently, strictly speaking, one cannot speak of foreknowledge in the case of God. With him, there are no distinctions in time. He calls the things that are not as if they were and sees what is not as if it already existed. For what is foreknowledge if not knowledge of future events? But can anything be future to God who surpasses all times? For if God's knowledge includes these very things themselves, they are not future to him but present. And for this reason, we should no longer speak of God's foreknowledge, but simply of God's knowledge. Calvinists did not deny foreknowledge. They do not believe in foreknowledge. And so I think that's funny. The Calvinists, uh, they're, they're very inconsistent with their beliefs. They, they want their cake and to eat it too. Yeah, the Bible uses foreknowledge. Uh, the Bible uses the knowledge. But they, they redefine these things in very specific ways, and they want to keep the word as well. They, they like to word hijack, like the word sovereign. As sovereign, that's that's not used in the New King James or King James, and uh, they they want that word because it's a nice sounding word. It gives you nice feelings that there's some sort of rulership, and so they hijack it and they make it mean something absolutely that what it's not. And then they take the word knowledge and they turn it into this Platonic knowledge, this this knowledge that has to be inherent in God, this uncaused knowledge that doesn't flow to God from outside sources. This is what they do to words. So they want foreknowledge. They like the word. They want to keep the word, but they don't actually believe in foreknowledge. They believe God's outside of time, that God's unchanging, that all this knowledge is self-generated inside of God himself and identical to his being. And But they, they still want the word. Predestined, only, only open theists and Arminians can believe in predestination, God deciding to do things before they exist. Because remember, in Calvinism, God is timeless. So there's no before. He he's, does th- everything in an eternal sense. And uh, so it's at all present times simultaneously. As, as this systematic theology points out, the only people who actually believe in foreknowledge and predestination are people who believe that God is in time. But He's not going to talk about that. Instead, he wants to use these words for his specific Calvinist notions. So instead of like being a general predestination, deciding things in advance, oh, I want something done. Well, let's uh, set up some rules and uh, some stipulations and then bring that about, you know, predestination, foreknowledge and knowing something beforehand. Remember, in the Bible, the Pharisees knew Paul before they had foreknowledge of him. That's just a general general uh, word for just knowing something before the present time. It doesn't have to be eternity past. You have to look at context. How's the word being used in what sense? And he does. He does cover various 
details in the Old Testament about God's knowledge. And it's not this eternal knowledge from time eternal. And it's always in the sense of uh, this personal relationship. God foreknows his people. He's, he's got specific special people that he has a specific relationship with. And in that way, he has foreknown them. He, he has loved them. He has called them. He has raised this people group. And it's not about individuals. There's nothing in the text about individuals for knowledge, for knowing a people group, predestination, predestinating a pre people group. But he doesn't talk about that, at least not in this clip. I don't have the wider sermon. I don't have, I haven't watched the wider sermon. I don't know if it exists anywhere. All I got is this clip. So that's all I can respond to right now. Like, I know he said foreknowledge, but what I think he means is, and, and I know he said predestined to determine. Those are all English words, and uh, you have to look at uh, the usage of those words in different ancient contexts, which he doesn't do. He just assumes his Calvinistic meaning, and we've already established that Calvinists hijack words. They just take words and they impose these definitions that are not warranted by the context. So, so prove your definition of this ancient word from the context in which those words are used. Or other contexts. Look at the wider usage in ancient uh, Greek society, the Hellenistic world. And remember, uh, we, we did this with the word elect. I think I got a whole series on the predestination as well. But elect, of course, it just means choice. Like these are the best troops. They're the elect troops. Or uh, you know, a lot of these contexts, is you, you don't even know which word is predestined. In, in the context of these ancient Greek texts. You just don't know. Beforehand, but what I think he means. And so I always just want to ask, if you read the Bible, does the Apostle Paul come off like a guy who uses slang? <laughs> yes, he, he uses slang all the time. And uh, just even the word that the Calvinists really love, dead in your trespasses and sins, they say, oh, dead means dead. No, dead does not mean dead. Even in your definition, it doesn't mean you are literally dead and you have a dead body and uh, your heart's not beating. He's using dead in a metaphorical sense, right? He's using, quote unquote, idiomatic language. And he uses dead in a lot of contexts, in a lot of different ways. You know, the dead people walk or what. It, look at the Leighton Flowers uh, post-debate with, with uh, Dr. Zacherdorides. And they talk about different ways that Paul uses this dead language. He uses slag. He uses slag. And he, he also, you know, when he's making these cutting remarks towards the Galatians, he says, you know, I wish these people would be cut off. The people who are really into circumcision, they should be cut off. That's, it's a pun. It's, it's a, a double entendre. It's saying they should be cut off from the faith, but it means they could have their penises cut off. They, they need to get castrated. It's a play on words, and Paul does this. And uh, some some of his language might be sarcastic. He talks about the Corinthians and how they have all wealth and all knowledge. It's sarcasm going on there. So he does. He's a normal person using normal methods of speech. He's not a systematic theologian writing without any character. This this manual, this technician manual, and he just presents this as if that's a joke to even consider this. It's a joke to consider that a normal human being was using normal language conventions to an audience who he wanted to convince of various facts. What? What? All right. Does he? Like, if Paul calls you a fool, that's not an, 
That's not like you're his boy. All right, what's up, fool? Right, that's not, he's calling you a fool, all right? It's not slang. He thinks you're a fool, all right? And so his lambasting of this concept, I mean, it's it's just straw man building. He's building his own and in his own imagination. He hasn't given this serious thought and looked at the way that Paul uses language. And Paul uses a lot of allusions, or references, idiomatic speech. He talks about uh, to Corinth, the 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 demonic places and high places. He's referencing their Acropolis. That he's refer- referencing this this uh, hill that they have where all their ancient temples were on top of this fortified hill that he's drawing references and parallels and using idioms that are specific to the people he's writing to. That's what he does. He does systematically through his writings. So this Matt Chandler guy, I don't think he knows Paul very well, or if he's making this claim or else he's just trying to do a little polemic to uh, reinforce his point, but he doesn't actually believe it. Hopefully he doesn't actually believe it because that's, that's incredibly ignorant. And when he calls the, the teachers in the churches of Galatia those dogs, he's not saying those were his friends. He's calling them literal dogs. He's saying that they are, have like canine teeth and they have fur and they run around and they bark. Is that he's, he's not using idiomatic language, Matt Chandler? You're undermining your own point. Did, did you give this any thought? A little bit of thought, Matt Chandler. Just a just a little bit. All right, uh, Paul doesn't use slang. <laughs> yeah, you just undermined your own point. You, you just said he doesn't use slang, and then you uh, quoted him using slang, right? Right, Matt Chandler. Are you listed? Are you with me here? So when he says those whom he foreknew, he predestined. He means that those whom God foreknew, God predestined. Yeah, so the, the Bible is filled with references to this people group that God's going to be setting up. The, the chosen, the remnant, remnant language throughout the Old Testament. This is a people group that God specifically calls. He first calls Israel, but they rebel and they reject him. So out of Israel, he has to build a new Israel. And this is the remnant. This is consistently referred to throughout the Bible. It's not about a list of names of individuals. It's basically as you opt into the group based on your actions. And as God says in Ezekiel 18 and in Jeremiah 18, Ezekiel's about individuals, Jeremiah's about nations, that people are going to be judged on their own merits. And if people change, he, he will change in turn his policies toward them. If there's a good guy who becomes evil, they were going to suffer punishment. If there's an evil person who becomes good, repents, they are going to be in turn blessed. God responds to individuals as they opt in and out of this group that he's predestined to make. And remember, John the Baptist uh, encountered these Jews and the Jews thought that God was a slave to his word. And so since God promised Israel all these things that uh, God couldn't just kill all of Israel, and John the Baptist had to correct this. He said, don't think just because you're children of Abraham that you're going to escape this wrath. God could call up children of Abraham from these stones. His point was basically God has innovative ways of fulfilling his promise. So don't take the promise as a personal security for your own sake because God is wiser than you. God is more innovative than you. God is not bound by your rationality. God can do stuff. 
And that's his point. That's his point. But Matt, Matt Chandler, he, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. It's, it's all about individuals. It's all about Calvinistic predestination, which everything is faded. That's not even predestination and foreknowledge, as we already talked about. It's not. They, they don't believe in predestination. They do not believe in foreknowledge. And, and so that, that's the first game. And then the second game is that, that people will say, um, people say, well, on, on foreknowledge and, and predestination, what, what's happened is that, that God is so all-knowing that, that God knows who's going to take their faith and put it in his grace. And since he knows who's going to choose him, all right, he, he knows who, who's going to look back and, you know, and, and say, I'm going to take my faith and I'm going to put it in God's grace, that, that that's how this thing works. Now, what's the big problem with that? Well, well, the big problem came out of Ephesians 2 yesterday, didn't it? That the faith to believe in the grace is also a gift of God, not by man, so that no one would boast. So that the idea that God somehow has got in the DeLorean, adjusted the flux capacitor, jetted forward and figured out who all's going to pick him and who's going to take their faith and put it in the grace he's provided and then, you know, went back before the beginning of the foundation of the earth was laid and wrote that in the Lamb's Book of Life and shut it down. Let's get to work now. Press play. So a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, assumptions being built in there. So faith is the gift or let's take a look at that Ephesians 2. All right, so this is what he's referring to. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace ye have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The grace is the gift. That we have been saved through faith, through our own effort in giving God our faith, our trust, our uh, followership to him, and then he, God gave us grace. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, and not of works. He didn't look at our works, uh, per Ephesians 2.8, and then give us the grace. So um, don't assume your position, Matt Chandler, onto the verses you try to quote. He also tries to quote the Lamb's Book of Life in Revelation. And he, it's total misquote. Every time these guys turn to Revelation, it's like they don't even understand what they're trying to quote. Actually, it was talking about names written since the foundation of the world. It's, it's apo. It's not pro. It's not bef- the names were written before the world. No, that's names that are written since the world began. So which completely and totally undermines your entire argument. And furthermore, it's about the names, quote unquote, not written because it's saying these are the people who are going to worship the beast, the people whose names are not written in the book. It's basically saying anyone who's not a believer is going to be worshiping the beast. But it tells us a little bit about the book's operation. And we, we learn about this book throughout the Bible. And, uh, you know, this, this is a reference in, in even Exodus, Exodus 32, 33. Moses says to God, blot my name out of the book if uh, you're going to blot all of Israel out of the book. Right? So names get blotted out of the book. And we learn that from Revelation as well. There's two references as well in Revelation to being blotted out of the book. There's uh, one that uh, is kind of sketchy in uh, Revelation 22, where it could be, depending on what manuscript you use, it might be the Book of Life or the Tree of Life. In context, it looks like Book of Life is the more more probable, ancient, uh, true text. Uh, that I, From context, because it says, if anyone takes away from the words of this book, have their name be taken away from the book of life and uh, tree of life uh, it doesn't it doesn't match up as well so 
just judging by context and context alone and not not the majority text or the critical text, anything like that. There are some Greek texts that have Book of Life. And, of course, King James has it as Book of Life. I think it more probable this is about the Book of Life. But even even so, even so, earlier in Revelation, it, Jesus talks about your names being blotted out of the Book of Life. It can happen. It's not this eternal list of names that the Calvinists pretend it is. And I... I don't know. You, you try to deal with the Calvinist with uh, the Book of Life, and they never admit to anything, and they just want their own definition without even even reading their own proof text. That that's a problem with Calvinists. They don't even read their own proof text. A lot of times, their proof texts they they contradict the points they're trying to make. So predestination, foreknowledge, Calvinism's false. If there's such thing as predestination, if there's such thing as foreknowledge, Calvinism is false. But Matt Chandler, he doesn't, he doesn't care about that. that. That idea is shattered on the rock of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, when it says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this, Danny says both grace and faith, this <laughs> faith, to believe in that grace, was given to you by God. It's shattered, it's shattered by my very particular reading of this verse, which doesn't make sense unless you presuppose Calvinism. That's, that's his argument. Okay. It is not okay. yours so that you would have nothing to boast in. And so I've had people go, that's not true, Pastor. Like I walked up and I shaked my pastor's hand and we prayed and I accepted Christ. Someone, someone came up to you and said, my personal experience contradicts your forced theology. Ah, say it's not so, Pastor. Pastor Matt Chandler. I've argued and will argue until glory. God saved you in your seat. God saved you in your seat because if you praying, repeating a prayer up front from your pastor saved you, then we're witches, not Christians. That's an incantation. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's not regeneration. Now, a pastor might have been your guide up front, but what compelled you to get out of your... That post-debate with Dr. Leighton Flowers and Dr. Jonathan Pritchett are just so good on so many levels. And they point out, I think it's uh, Jonathan Pritchett, he points out that in the Bible writers, they, they're not so picky about their terms. So sometimes Paul re will refer to saving yourself or other apostles will refer to saving your, yourselves or, or individuals saving people that Paul saves someone. They're not that picky. They're not Calvinists. They, they don't think like Calvinists. They don't act like Calvinists. And yeah, that's another example of, of quote-unquote slang or, or non-technical language used by Paul. It's, it's throughout Paul's letters. And what Calvinists do is uh, they're, they're very selective readers. And Paul will talk about being dead in your trespasses and sins, and they'll take it one way. And any time that he uses dead in a different type of context, they'll, they'll just read that as normal normal idiomatic speech, and just keep rolling on. They will. They will. Paul uses you know, sleep. Sleep's another one that for actual death. That people who are asleep are people who are dead. It's, it's a euphemism, euphemistic language used by Paul. He doesn't throw this guy's This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He, doesn't, he's, he, might, he might be just doing polemics. Eat and come forward with the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So somebody must might have helped you put words to it. Might, yeah, he's he's being overly technical, a standard that's not found in the Bible, 
and contradicted by the Bible. So, yeah, go on. Talk your Calvinism. It's not biblical. Uh, you're rejecting normal biblical modes of speech. Helped shape you, but when all said and done, you got saved in that seat. Got saved in that seat. So it, we, we've talked about what it's not, so let's talk about what it is. And I think the, the best way, I think the fair way to do this is, is look at how the Bible uses this idea of knowing in its context um, or in, in the context of how God knows. And, and there are some, there's a few little problems in, in how the Bible talks about God knowing that I think we, that'll help us in figuring out and getting to the bottom of what foreknowledge is, okay? And so in Amos chapter 3, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, the, God says through the prophet Amos, you only have I known among all the families on the earth. Now, what's the problem with that? It almost makes it sound like there are, there are families. I really like this part of the video because he talks about different ways of knowing in different contexts. And in, in this context that he just quoted, he's saying he only knew Israel, which means that Israel's his special people, that uh, he's got a special relationship. And that it's like almost, almost like even a marital thing where, you know, you're so interpersonal with this, this, these certain select people that you, you got knowledge of them. And that, that's what God's highlighting. This is not this mechanical uh, knowledge that's uh, pure actuality, self-generated, that Calvinists usually use the word knowledge to mean. And this guy points it out. He points it out. But he doesn't see the irony with his uh, previous points about predestination, his other proof texts, where he just assumes his meaning. But now we're going to talk about uh, shades and variation of meaning for the word knowledge, which, which you know, Matt Slick did this too all the time. Like he would uh, always uh, say, well, this is equivocation, and he explains equivocation. He knows what equivocation is, and then he'll just do it himself. Or he'll say, you guys can't use uh, allusions. You guys can't uh, use uh, hypotheticals, but I can. It's this double standard, which I guess, you know, it's something. It's like whatever most benefits the Calvinist is usually what the Calvinist, what they default to at the time. They don't care about consistency at all, do they? Families of the earth that God is not aware of, right? So through the prophet Amos, to the covenant community of faith, you alone have I known among all the families of the earth. Yeah, and this is a people group thing. Remember, there's uh, two nations uh, in the womb, and one's Jacob, one's Esau, and they're nations, they're people groups. It's not about individuals. And God has to, time and time again, he wants to destroy them. He wants to kill them all. For example, in Exodus 32, he wants to kill them all. In Numbers, he wants to kill them all. Uh, even later, Malachi 3, that's, that's a really good example of God saying, you know, I should kill you guys all. I should kill every one of you guys. But I, the Lord, do not change. And in context, it's a reference to his unilateral promise to the seed of Abraham, to Israel, that uh, this is special covenant people. And so he goes against his better judgment. He should have killed them all because they were all rebellious. And he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you live. Return to me and I'll return to you. That's the context of their whole, you know, Malachi 3 proof text. It's so funny. It's so funny. So it's, it's about people groups. It's not about individuals. And uh, it's not about Calvinistic predestination. And God's being thwarted in all of this. So he predestined this group of people to be a certain way. And they continually thwart him. The entire Bible, the entire Bible is Israel 
struggling with God. That's the meaning of the word Israel. Struggles with God. Israel. Struggles with God. And so Calvinists don't think that anyone struggles with God. God predestines everything to his greatest glory. And in the Leighton Flowers debate, remember our Calvinist buddies, they believed total fatalism. They didn't even take the normal Calvinist out where it's like, well, there's compatibilistic. So you do have free will, but everything is micromanaged by God to the smallest detail. So not really free will because there's no other path to take. You can't do it. God forces everything. It's fatalism. But there's free will there. There's free will there. So uh, some Calvinists don't even go that far and create this weird compatibilism that doesn't even make any sense. It's just, it's just them. It's just them equivocating or just trying to get out of the the logical implications of their belief. But that's okay. We know at one sense that's not true. Like that God is not all right unable to see the Assyrians and the Babylonians, right? He's not, there's not people groups that he doesn't see. He's saying that there's a way that I know Israel that is different than the way I know the Babylonians. This is a great point. It's a great point. It's even better that's coming from a Calvinist, and he understands this. In context, the knowledge isn't uh, this this reference to some sort of omniscience. And yeah, there's people groups that God doesn't quote-unquote know, but, you know, then he'll go to proof texts, other proof texts about God knowing all things, and he'll take it for Calvinistic knowledge without, without any critical thought, like this type of critical thought that he's bringing to this proof text. It's his double standard, even just, even just how he treats these texts. Against the Assyrians and, and on and on I could go, okay? In Hosea 13, 5, I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. Now, um, he, he, he's, he knew him in slavery. He knew him in the promised land. He knew, he's known him all, everywhere. But he's saying here, in, in the wilderness, in the time of drought, I knew you in a special way. Um, in Matthew. How can you know someone in a special way if you micromanage every single detail of the universe and the world? How can you have a relationship? You can't. Again, only, only open theists and Arminians can believe these things. Calvinists can't. They think that God makes us little marionettes, forces every action, but then he has a special, intimate relationship with one person over another. Doesn't make any sense to me. Um, 7.23. In fact, let me do Psalm 1.6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, so that there's a way that he knows the righteous that is different than the way he knows the wicked, and, and we see that... Doesn't that just mean that he protects the righteous and not the wicked and punishes the wicked? That's what it sounds like to me. Idiomatic. I could, you know, compare these texts. The next one being Matthew 7, 23, where he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So, so I know you well enough that you practice lawlessness, but I don't know you in a way that I would say I know you. Are you with me? I like that as well. So this is something Jesus didn't quote-unquote know. If you take the, the text at face value without understanding the idiomatic language behind it. So Jesus, I never knew you, depart from me. And what that means idiomatically is you were never a follower of me. I, we, we never were on a relationship type basis. You're, you've been a stranger, an outsider. And that's what it means. That's what knowledge means in that context. So you, you have to understand how language is used, in what context, what are various meanings. 
possible and probable meanings before you just assign these meanings to the text. So other texts where Jesus is said to, quote unquote, know all things, what's the context? What's the language being used? What kind of idio- idioms are have been popular at the time? What kind of idio- idioms uh, are, have been ascribed to man in similar circumstances elsewhere? And what, what what's the range of meaning? What's the range of meaning? I like that he's doing actual due diligence in these texts, though. Be on this, that there's a way of knowing that is different than knowing. And I know that those are the same words. I, th- I think this one can help us really land the plane. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. There's knowing, and then there's knowing. Right? Are you not, you're not, do I need to show a graph? Again, all good. I mean, what are they going to do? Fire me? I don't work here, all right? They'll fire Dan. And and so there's knowing, and then there's knowing. And and what we have happening in this text is God says, I foreknew you. I knew you beforehand. And what we see from these other texts is there's a special affection, a special love, a special delight in his covenant community that has been there since the beginning. Yep, it is about his community, not about individuals. And by the beginning, I mean always in the heart of God. (laughs) (laughs) So predestination, foreknowledge, uh, that just means eternal always, ever, forever in God's mind. It's not determining something before something else. It's an eternal determining. There's there's never never a spot in time when it was actually determined. Okay, okay, so you reject your own words you're using. Those whom he foreknew, foreloved, foredelighted in, foreset his affection on, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Now this is easier. He determined beforehand. All right. So that's that Matt Chandler clip. And uh, it's, it's really short, which works for me because uh, I don't got very much time right now. And uh, I hope you liked it. Uh, I, there's there's things I could flush out a little bit more. I need to do a podcast just on the use of these ancient words in this ancient non-biblical uh, parallel texts or texts that use these words. And, and you'll see that it's hard to determine uh, the Calvinistic meaning that's assigned to these words in, in this secular usage of those same words. There's a lot of assumed meaning in this ancient literature. And the Bible, of course, is an ancient Greek text. And the only way we know word meanings is from these word studies of comparative usages and context. So single-mindedly arguing for one meaning over another meaning is not that warranted. You got to look at context. You got to approve your definition from how it's used in context. You just don't assume your definition onto the word. It's bad biblical theology. It's a violation of just just basic translation theory. It is. It's just, you can't do that. It's special plating. All right, so I hope you like this uh, short little podcast here. If you have any questions, comments, put that on God is Open questions at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.